You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Galatians chapter 6 tonight. And uh, as uh, you're turning there, we're resuming our study looking at plus nothing, a study on gospel grace. And it's always interesting to me how expository series just sync up with what's going on. And tonight we're looking at grace serving. And I just find that so interesting. Did not plan that, um, just the way things intersect. But a great reminder as we just observed ordination and another family willing to serve Uh, with the grace of God. Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to have to move a bit tonight, which is fine, and uh, we will work through the first 10 verses of this chapter, Lord willing. Please get as far into it as we can this evening. Galatians chapter 6, let's begin in verse 1. So we're in the last chapter of Galatians. We're looking at Galatians plus nothing, a study on gospel grace in uh, this book. Brethren, Galatians 6, 1, if a man be overtaken in a fault... You which are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be nothing, uh, to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things." Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith." So we're looking at tonight grace serving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for already the time we've treasured and shared together. Thank you for all you're doing, Lord, on so many fronts in, in the respective ministries of this church that, Lord, are we just we lay them at your feet. And we just thank you for what you're doing, and we give you glory. Thank you for a lot of good just responses this morning and feedback and new folks visiting and folks interested in membership and we're just grateful. We're thankful even for the struggles and challenges and growing pains of just being a, a church that's growing. And we thank you for that. And we pray to help us to manage and steward well what you're entrusting to our care. I pray, Father, as we steward your grace, that we'd be very careful not to make it all about us, but to realize that, Lord, really, we're just conduits of this grace to, to shed it abroad, to share it with others, and to allow it to bless them and to touch them and to strengthen them and to Draw them even into individual, personal, saving relationship with you. Bless the time we share in Christ's name. Amen. Um, one of the things that scares me about our day is even Brother John tonight, not picking on him, but using his phone, you know, reading off of it, I'm just reminded of how connected we are to our phones, right? Um, and we say that, and then we just go out and we still do that, right? But one of the things that scares me is how little of our brains we're actually using at this point, Okay. And someone the other day and I were talking about, do you remember when you used to know other people's phone numbers? 
like you actually, you know, you had to dial them, right? And so you either had a, a hot list on the side there that you could use as a reference, or just in your brain, you knew mom's number and you knew grandma's number. And uh, the other day, a guy and I were talking about that part of our brain that used to keep track of that, of other people's phone numbers, what are we doing with that part of our brain right now, okay? Um, some random facts that we're storing there, or it's just a void that used to be filled with those facts. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the grace of God, if we're not careful, is we forget about others when a lot of grace, God's grace specifically, is intended uh, to be for their benefit and um, their blessing. And so we're going to talk about tonight uh, in these few verses that we read how God's grace is meant to produce in us the demeanor or the profile of a servant. Whether you're serving as a deacon who has bunch of guys try to get all their hands on your shoulders and pray over you, or you're just trying to serve and walk out your faith uh, in the areas that God has called you to. And kind of a key statement as we begin tonight, whenever we make our version of grace about us more than others, we are going to get grace wrong. And here's what I hear in our day is a lot of grace talk, but it's all about me, me, me. The grace of God used to send people to the mission field. The grace of God used to motivate people to start churches and families and reach the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, the grace that we claim to believe in is not the grace of God. Because the grace of God will always produce in us the profile of a servant. And so the believer here that Paul's been talking about that's free from the law of Moses and possesses this great liberty is meant for us then to fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love one another. It is meant to serve one another. And so the life that truly experiences the grace of God will then direct that grace towards serving others with what God has blessed them with. So the question tonight is, in a day of self-serving religiosity, and specifically as it relates to grace, quote-unquote, how do we recover the other's focus of this ministerial grace that God has given. I want to give you tonight quickly three groups of people that we should be regularly serving uh, if we truly understand and are stewarding properly this grace that God has given to us. So let's talk about those. I have several sub-points. We'll try to give you those tonight as well, but I'd like you to especially make note of in the time we have left these three areas. All right, number one, let's talk about, first of all, service of other Christians. So he talks about that in verses 1 to 5, that the first thing we're to do with the grace of God is to serve other Christians. And I'm going to give you three of them. I would jot these down or make note of them there in your bulletin. Number one, we need to graciously serve the Christian who has sinned. Uh, If you go to verse 1, it says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. So the first thing we ought to be doing with the grace of God toward other believers is we ought to be serving them, listen, not when they're perfect, but when they fail. That we come alongside them in a way that doesn't make sense and and there's nothing in it for us, but we still want to help them and, and encourage them because the grace of God is at work in us. I don't know if this actually happened, but somebody posted this just the other day. They shared it with me. Apparently, this was the situation they were describing. Apparently, this dude at the mall was just tying his shoe and did not want to play leapfrog. My bad, dude. My bad. Okay? Do you know sometimes when someone falls down, we we almost enjoy leaping over them. I'm not where you're at. That's not the profile of grace. The profile of grace is we come down to where they are. We assist them. We encourage them. We serve them. 
Um, One of the things that I'm convicted as I even think about it again tonight is this. How many people have fallen from the faith that the issue is not their fall and it's not where they now find themselves is the fact they can't, they don't know and they can't find a Christian willing to serve them in that place. Like who could be close to Christ tonight if we would instead of judging them and leaping over them and trying to, aha, I'm not where you're at, instead we would come alongside them with the grace of God uh, to serve them. And so Paul here admonishes us on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to graciously serve the Christian who has sinned. And here's my question to you tonight. Do you have a name of someone you've done that for? Like we can talk in abstract forms this evening, but I regularly as a pastor have folks who will tell me we ought to write off that person as a church. We have no business associating with this person with a criminal background or whatever And again, I'm not saying proper channels need to be followed, but there's still someone who needs encouraged and served with the grace of God. And sometimes we're so quick to jump to those conclusions and those arrived decisions without considering this spirit of graciousness. Um, And so he talks about two things, and we don't have time to unpack this at length, but first he talks about sin that requires from us meekness. Did you notice that? So in verse 1, he says that we're to come alongside these and serve them. Notice in the middle of the verse... Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Um, And so this spirit that we're to have, and regularly part of my job as your pastor is to at times challenge you or correct you. And even today, I think our study was rather direct, but I hope it still came across with meekness. I need this, and I'm still figuring this out. And so this spirit of meekness must always be a part of how we graciously serve those who have sinned. And notice what the goal of it is, it is to restore him gently. The idea here, the the Greek word is is the idea of setting a dislocated bone. Just as a believer gets dislocated from the body, the way that we come and restore them to the body is we do so with this spirit of meekness. Um, And so it must be done gently, it must be done carefully, um, this restoration process, and it must be done with meekness. You cannot properly reconcile a believer who has wandered from the faith without this spirit of meekness. And listen to me, you cannot have that meekness without the grace of God. Because we want to judge and we want to dismiss and we want to disassociate from, we need God's grace to help us with this spirit. Secondly, number two under this in verse one, there's also to be, this sin requires in us not just meekness, but humility. Did you notice that at the end of verse one? Considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. And so we must possess not only meekness, but humility as we help others. One of the things we enjoy sometimes, don't you almost, let's be totally honest this evening, we almost enjoy the failure of another because it makes us feel better. And that vibe comes through uh, as we interact with others, whether we mean to give off that vibe or not. There's a conceded superiority, and their failure reaffirms we're more righteous in our own mind. Uh, So we have to be very careful to not be comparative, but instead to be humble. One author said this, I love this analogy, it's convicting, but it's true. The judgmental heart owns a hundred microscopes and no mirrors. The judgmental heart owns a hundred microscopes. Man, I can see every detail of where you failed, but often I'm not careful, I don't have one mirror that's reflecting back to me, either where I have failed or where I could fail in the exact same area. And so sin requires, this sin of our brother or sister in Christ requires in us 
a, a disposition of humility. Key thought on this, and we'll move on. The legalist primarily focuses upon the issues of the sinner. The forgiven by grace believer focuses primarily upon getting their own response right in tone and in disposition. And the first question we ought to ask ourselves when someone else fails that we know as a believer is not why did they do it and what were they thinking? It should be how can I have the right spirit and tone toward this person to help them be restored in the areas where they have fallen. You can't do that without meekness and humility. All right, number two, so we graciously serve the Christian who, is, who has sinned. The second area, jot this down, graciously serve the Christian who is burdened. Verse two, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So there's a couple things that this burden requires of us, just as sin required a few things. Number one, these burdens of our brethren require our love. Um, and he talks about that in verse two, this law of Christ. Um, the law of Christ, if you were to go throughout the Old Testament or the New Testament, is that you love one another, that you love one another. A new commandment I give unto you. And so it requires of us love. Burdens, were failed to, burdens here refer to either failures, temptations, testings, or trials. And instead of standing far off and critiquing them and analyzing it, we come close to them. The idea of bearing a burden. Think about how do I share your burden? I have to come close to you, right? And so a lot of it is proximity and, and, and sympathy and empathy and sharing in what they're going through, just being with them. Those in the room who've gone through great seasons of grief, often all you needed was just someone just to be with you, not say anything or change anything or do anything, just be with you in that moment. And that's the idea here. It requires love. We can't at a distance help someone with their burden. We have to draw nigh to them. We have to draw uh, close to where they are, are and what they're dealing with. And so this law of Christ, and it's interesting, I think Paul here is pushing back against the legalist by using this term in verse 2, fulfill the law of Christ. Paul is telling the Galatians that rather than placing themselves under the burden of law fulfillment, they should instead choose to place themselves under the burden of others who are suffering and struggling. Allow that to be the law that rules in your heart. Let that love motivate you by the grace of God. <laughs> All right, verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Number two. So these burdens require love of us. Number two, they require objectivity. Objectivity. These burdens require of us love. Number two, they require objectivity. Um. You cannot help another bear a burden if you, because you're not self-aware, add to the burden. If you ever had someone try to help you and they don't realize that what they're saying and how they're saying it is actually adding, piling on. And so self-awareness, objectivity of who you are in Christ and who you are not allows you to be a help and blessing instead of an additional burden. And so this verse 4 or verse 3 that begins with the word for the idea is that, that, that you need to make sure you get verse 3 right so that you'll do verse 2 right. You can only bear these burdens if you think in this way and if you don't think in a certain way. And so this emphasis upon a servant's heart, a reliance upon Christ, the one who said, without me you can do nothing. And so dependency upon Christ instead of this autonomous, proud view of self. 
uh, verse 4, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. And the idea is this, if you can understand this explanation, uh, one commentator put it this way, I think this is the best way to explain verse 4. On the one hand, we may not truly be very loving if we're surrounded by selfish people. We will have great pride in our love and not seek to grow in love. So that's one way it can be skewed if we're not focused on ourselves. Instead, we're focused on others around us. On the other, we may be living up to our God-given capacities, but since we're surrounded by very gifted people, we may be greatly discouraged. This means we are to assess our own opportunities and our own responses to those opportunities. The temptation is to let what everybody else is doing or not doing set the tone of how we help others. Instead of making sure we're seizing the opportunities and stewarding the, the gifts that God has given us to share his grace and to serve with that grace. Uh, verse 5, for every man shall bear his own burden. Um, so you have in verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens. And then in verse 5, you have every man shall bear his own burden. Doesn't that feel like we're going two directions at the same time? Um, Part of it is the wording here, obviously, and Paul's being very clear, but it's also maybe lost in the English just a bit if we're not careful. But the word burden in verse 2 is a different word than the word translated burden in verse 5. In fact, in verse 2, um, it refers to a heavy weight, um, a, an overwhelming load. Verse 5 is referring more to like a backpack size load would have been what in, in the vernacular of that day in Greek they would have used, two different Greek words. And so the idea is, shoulder your own burden, verse 5. Um, I've said this before, I think in this setting, maybe even on a Sunday night. Sometimes the best thing you can do to serve other people is handle your own burden that God has assigned to you and don't dump it on everybody all the time. When they say, how are you doing? You say, I'm doing fine, doing great. And God's helped me with the things he's put on my plate. Sometimes we overload others by not shouldering our own burdens. So there's a contrast here. Verse 2 is when you see someone struggling under a massive burden, you're going to do everything you can to draw nigh to them, to love on them, to humbly and meekly come alongside. Uh, but as it relates to your own burden, be objective, own it, shoulder it, and let God help you with his grace uh, and his strength. A friend of mine that pastors just recently had um, a service, he just posted this and was testifying of it. He said, many churches have services where people share their blessings. Last night we did the opposite. People transparently shared their burdens, what they were struggling with and situations that were heavy on their heart. Others then prayed out loud for their fellow church members to help carry their load. It was raw, it was real, and exactly why the church family exists. And then he put beside that Galatians 6, 2, and 3. And here's my question to you. If I said to you next week, that's what we're going to have on Sunday morning. We're going to have a burden sharing service, and then we're all going to own one of those burdens. I hope you'd be here, but I don't know how excited you would be, okay? Just be, you know, just staggering under the weight. I mean, there's a, we could share tonight, couldn't we? And just overwhelm each other. But I do think at times we need to have more openness to others' burdens, and we need to eagerly and with initiative instead of avoidance try to come toward them, to draw near them with this grace that God has so graciously given to us. Um, and so the contrast between religiosity that's fueled by the flesh is, listen, that adds burdens to people's lives. Isn't that what the Pharisees were doing? Grace frees us from them. Grace shares them. Grace lightens the load. That's the contrast. 
And here's my question to you. Your version of God and his, your walk with him, which is your religion accomplishing? Are you adding burdens? Or are you lightening the load? Um, it's a great marker and reference point of whether you're getting grace right as it relates to uh, God's work. So the first group we serve with grace is other Christians. All right, number two, and my favorite point of our study, you also can use your grace to serve spiritual leaders. I'm being half tongue-in-cheek here, okay? Um, but Paul here talks about how grace enables us to serve um, others in spiritual leadership. I um, heard this recently. Somebody said, um, you can judge the character of a pastor. This is a sobering thought. You can judge the character of a pastor by the look on his wife's face when he walks in the room. It's very true. I don't, I don't mean that in a joking way whatsoever, especially because my wife is looking at me right now. Um, <laughs> But can I, can I tell you, there are times where, I, especially as I'm traveling a bit more, as I bring up to pastors who are leading and deacons who are leading churches, when I say, just tell me about your church. A lot of times it's the last thing they want to talk about, to be honest with you. Um, they're struggling and they're burdened, and instead of serving those who are serving them, their church often is providing friction and hindrance, and we don't have that in our church. I'm grateful for that. But a lot of times the age of grace has basically been an age that excuses God's people to, to chew up and spit out spiritual leaders. Um, and that's an unfortunate characteristic of our day. When, listen to me, the grace of God is meant to help us as God's people bless those in leadership, to encourage them and thank them and support them and come alongside them in the journey that God has called them to. And many of you do that in this place. And so the grace of God allows us to serve spiritual leaders. All right, two things he gives us quickly. First in verse 6, notice he says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Number one, graciously serve the spiritual leader who needs support. So they need support. They need help. Um, show this little video clip. And, and, okay, I'll read the caption first. So here's the caption. It's just a five-second clip. This is the pastor breaking up another fight between the sheep. All right, and then here's the clip. No audio. <laughs> that, I'm not kidding you. Sometimes, literally, that is, that is pastoring in a five-second clip. And sometimes it's been between two of you in this room and one of you in this room and one not in this room or two not in this room tonight, okay? But we need support, right? We need, we need help. We need partnership. And the grace of God has been given to us to do uh, just that. Uh, two things under that. First, teachable support. So the first thing we can do to support those that are in spiritual leadership is we can be teachable. You notice that in verse number six, let him that is taught in the word. Um, that's not talking about, listen to me, that's not about the guy teaching. That's about the one on the receiving end. You're being taught. You're choosing to be teachable. Um, you being here tonight, regularly you're an encouragement to me as you nod your head and you receive and you process and you share what God has taught you uh, through the ministry of our church. And so teachable support. Um, the idea here is that we all need to submit ourselves to teachers, including me and anyone else who teaches the word. We all must be under others. We must be, teach it, uh, be taught by others. The word here is the word catechized. That, that's the original word here. There, we ought to all be catechized. We ought to all be taught by others around us uh, on a regular basis. And as we are, uh, we're encouraging that one who is exercising their spiritual gift. 
Uh, secondly, tangible support. And he talks about this at the end of verse number six. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Um, the word communicate here is actually a word that means fellowship, to have fellowship. Koinia is the word. So it's not communicate as in I wrote you a thank you note or I threw a few bucks your way or I don't know, whatever the specific thing that you do. There's actually fellowship and partnership between student and teacher and between teacher and student. The teacher is not a, or the student is not a passive pawn. The teacher is not a dictator. It's a partnership. Um, and the grace of God gets involved in that relationship when we do it God's way. Just as teachers are sharing their spiritual gifts that God has given them with the learner, so the learner should share the gifts, whether that's financial or other means, schedule-wise, that God has given to them with the teacher. It's a mutual fellowship uh, in the faith, fueled by and sustained by the grace of God. Um, I, I'm sure at times it's overwhelming for you. I, Heidi reminds me of this now and then, what it must feel like to sit in on the receiving end of my leadership, for example, or others that lead in this place. Um, but I, to be honest with you, I don't know that I can teach here faithfully for another three or four decades if Christ tarries is coming, but I know I can't without the grace of God fueling me and sustaining me. And the same is true for you, to follow me and be stuck with me or whoever's after me. Um, the grace of God alone can sustain and intensify and strengthen that relationship between spiritual leaders and those who are called to follow them. Now, here's the thought I want to give you because this, this connects with our next gen thing. Have you ever thought about how the church supports the spiritual leaders of a church affect not just them, but their wives and their kids, and specifically their view of God's grace and God's gospel? Um, the PK syndrome, and all the, I'll be teaching on that this next week at a conference, but the PK syndrome has nothing to do with the Ks. It has everything to do with the Ps, the parents, and then those that are adults around them in that dysfunctional, at times, unfortunately, relationship um, that breaks down between them. Um, and, and here's the thought. It also affects young people's view of the ministry. Let me give you a stat. This stat, I hate this stat, but it's true. And it's convicting and it's jarring. Listen to this. According to a recent study by Barna, and this is a broad study, but it would apply to our churches as well. There are now more full-time senior pastors over the age of 65 than under the age of 40. More over the age of 65 than under the age of 40. And obviously 40 is, you know, 30-ish maybe is when most men begin to move in that direction. Senior leadership maybe as close as to 40. But that is not going to age well, is it? A 65-year-old probably shouldn't be pastoring, at least as a senior leader, without a lot of support much beyond with that age. And secondly, why, where's the young, where's the base of that? Our young people see, listen to me, our young people see how we treat those in spiritual leadership, either to the positive or the negative. And if we're not doing right by them with the grace of God, why would they ever get involved in that? I'm praying God will raise up some ministers in this place, some missionaries out of this church. But if we're not supporting those that are teaching our classes and leading in different ministries, we're undercutting all of that uh, in the days ahead. And so we must give them our tangible, grace-fueled uh, support. Your disposition, tone, and attitude towards spiritual leaders that God has placed over you, whether that's in the home or in the church, say less about them and say more about your absorption or your rejection of His grace. All right, number two, 
Verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Number two, graciously serve the spiritual leader who offers harvest. Graciously serve the spiritual leader who offers harvest. So we all have these televangelists, right? At least back in the day, and they would send some money in, seed money, and then, man, you're going to get a kickback, and they would offer you these promises, these empty promises. A disciplined, (laughs) spirit-gifted leader in our lives actually offers us some places we can invest with God's grace um, and some harvest that we can reap if we'll see through uh, the process. And so just a couple things. These are familiar verses, but often ripped completely out of context, if I'm honest, in many circles. But here's where he's going with this. Number one, this harvest is to be principled, a principled harvest. And in verse 7, he says, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. The idea here, God is not mocked. The language here in the originals is this, turning up your nose, snubbing God. You can't snub God. You, You can't be the exception to this rule. You will reap what you sow. And so he's reminding us of this immutable law, one that, uh, one that the legalist wants to deny or reject or, or live um, in a distance from. Although others may not notice our neglect of God's servants. That's actually the context of this verse, those in spiritual leadership. Although others may not notice it, God sees and he will give us a harvest accordingly. We have missionaries coming in May. Uh, Brother Ortiz uh, is flying in from Mexico City. We have a missionary to South Africa coming, and then Dr. Fielder. I hope when they leave that they feel like we, have, we truly are with them, anew and afresh. Two of them are missionaries we currently support for the coffee. Um, we do not, but we're prayerfully considering him. But I hope they leave with encouragement and partnership, and, and then we get to have a part in that harvest. Like God's doing things in Mexico City that would blow your mind this evening. If you track with Brother Ortiz, his church is exploding, and they're trying to build a three- or four-story building, and we want to get in on that, and I'm hoping he'll share about that when he's here. But, but it's, it's a harvest that we get to be a part of. That's why God gives us his grace, to sow and then to reap accordingly. Uh, verse 8, he goes on to say, For he that soweth to his flesh, here's our two options, shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to his spirit, or to the spirit, shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. You may want to jot this down tonight, but every one of us decide what harvest we will reap. You are not a victim if you have the grace of God tonight. You, listen to me, you are reaping and you will reap exactly what you choose to reap. If we truly have the grace of God, then we have, we have no excuses. We have the option, we know the truth, and then we choose. You tonight and I tonight will reap in my kids, I'll reap in my grandkids, I'll reap in my body, I'll reap in every nuance and crevice of my life. I will reap what I choose to sow. It's a choice that we make. And so our harvest must be built upon principles that guide the grace of God uh, in our lives. Um, I was just sharing, I'm just looking around, we still got a few projects to finish up in here besides the carpet Um, And I'll try to give an update on where we're at dollar-wise. Hopefully we can get that over the hump here in the next month or so. But I was just writing some thank yous to some brother, uh, Doug Hampshire. I don't know if you know him or not, newer guy. He painted almost all the auditorium. We had a few folks in here, but tons of trimming out. And in my thank you, I just said to him, thank you for painting a room where people will hear the gospel for years to come and get encouragement and comfort and help. 
There's a harvest. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a delay to that. There's some latent results of that effort. Um, and he took a week and a half of his work schedule and came and worked here. And so that, that's what we're talking about, principled harvest. That's why we have God's grace. All right, verse 9. We're almost done. And let us not be weary. Here's the admonition. Let us not. It's a choice. Not to be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Secondly, it is a sustaining harvest. A sustaining harvest. Paul here encourages these young Christians to keep planting and sowing and helping others because though there's a delay to the harvest, it will come. One of the things I've noticed about legalism, its profile, is it's very dut da dut da dut it, it has to have it now. Everything's external. Everything is immediate. It's take the shortest path to the desired end. Grace, the grace-fueled life, is patient. It lets things develop on their own, never doubting, but just waiting and trusting God to bring about in his time the maturation, the fruit, the harvest that he has promised. Um, Vance Havner, who had a way of putting things in a very pithy way, he once said this, the greatest friend of truth is time. Listen to this. Error is always in a hurry. You notice that with our politicians and economists and everything. It's all about, we got to do this now. If we don't do this now, it's all going to implode. Anytime someone tries to rush me, I've learned to be skeptical. Man, if you don't buy this for $19.99, 12 payments, you're never going to have a shot at this deal again. And I immediately say, no, thank you. I don't want that deal. Um, I've learned that over the years. And so error is always in a hurry. And that includes our view of grace, our view of religion. Uh, may we take the long view in our decisions, our reactions, and our vision. Which type of leadership shapes your spirituality? Is it the immediate or is it the ultimate? Uh, let it be the ultimate. That will keep us in balance. All right, lastly, let's talk for a minute about service of all people. So in verse 10, he kind of has this blanket statement um, that kind of brings this section to conclusion. He says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good. Notice this, unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Service unto all men. Um, sorry for all the flying illustrations, but one of the things I've observed, it's just hilarious to me, is this, the separation between first class and second class in a plane. And the most hilarious thing to me about it is, besides I'm bitter because I'm not in that section of the plane ever, is they have this little divider curtain they pull before they do service for the, the gentlemen and the ladies at the front of the plane and then all the peons in the back is that the curtain between us is transparent. So they close it so you know you can't come in, but you can see through. And the idea, I think, is you want to up, you know, upgrade next time because I want that service up there. In fact, I was getting on the plane last week, one of the trips, and uh, the, the stewardess actually made me wait to get on the plane so she could serve all the first-class passengers. I'm just standing there, and there's people waiting behind me. We're trying to load up, but she had to get their drink orders before I could even get on the plane. Um, and just, just the first class versus the second class. Um, do you know if we're not careful with the grace of God, we're very selective in how we serve with it. Um, and here's my, here's my thought to you this evening. Are we really serving other people with the grace of God? With the grace of God, if it's based upon merit. If they have to jump through certain hoops or meet certain prereq you know, prerequisites or qualifications... Do you know those that least deserve it that we serve actually probably are the most accurate recipients of the grace of God? 
And here's my thought to you. How little of our service actually is grace-filled service? That's a scary question because a lot of what we do is for others who do something for us by association or kick back our way. Um, and here Paul admonishes us to serve all people. Who are you unwilling to serve? Would you allow the grace of God to free you to be able to serve even them? All right, a couple things we need to finish. Number one, graciously serve the lost who require help. So I think at the beginning of verse 10, just by inference, we can say that likely Paul, in his mind, he's thinking of unbelievers at the beginning of verse 10, graciously serve the lost who require help. And two things under that. Number one, helpful in opportunities. So those that, those that need it, he says there, as we have opportunity, so as we see an opening, we seize it. Instead of avoiding it, we seize it. The, the legalist tries to get out of anything they can get out of. The grace-filled believer actually seeks to serve, tries to jump in. No, no, let me help you. Don't let them help you. Let me help you. Um, and, and that spirit of eagerness needs to be the demeanor of how we steward the grace of God. Uh, middle of verse 10, he says, let us do good. Uh, helpful not only in opportunity, but in initiative. Do good. Um, that, you're going to hate this when I say this because this convicted me. But a lot of times we think we're gracious if we don't do something negative. Yeah. <laughs> you tracking with me? When God says, no, I'm saying do something positive. Oh, I'm so gracious. I didn't just ream out that person that cut me off in traffic. What about instead when you see him in the drive-thru next time, buy their coffee? You know what I mean? That's the difference. And we think we're super spiritual because I didn't just, you know, do something majorly regrettable. Uh, what about the positive side of that? He says here, do good uh, to all men. And so may we own those responsibilities for the Lord. Um, Heidi and I were talking about this. Brother Moses would appreciate this. Um, this is a picture of uh, an evangelist. Uh, in fact, his name's Marion Warjanowski, who just went home to be with the Lord this last week. And the gentleman on the right, Brother Jenkins, would have been my in-law's pastor in North Olmstead prior to their coming back here. And Brother Warjanowski just went home to be with the Lord, and he was actually the one who preached um, the night that Heidi then went home and got saved, right? Um, he's now with the Lord. But God used him to present the gospel, and my wife got saved. Like, I think sometimes we don't make the connections between our little things of service that we just do day after day, year after year, that outlive us, this harvest that's still to come. May God help us to serve all men and to allow that service by the grace of God to bring them uh, to himself. All right, the end of verse 10, and we're done. Notice it says this, especially, so we're to do good to all men, but especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Graciously serve the believers graciously serve the believers who depend upon priorities. And I'll explain that in a moment as we finish. Graciously serve the believers who depend upon priorities. Um, and first of all, we see that Paul gives priority to believers. So just like I would never expect you at the expense of your family to help me with something, God says that our priority is to start with the family of God. We're to meet their needs. We're to see that as an, an important, urgent need, a priority in our lives. Um, I know I've said this before, but it's amazing to me how many times we say we're busy and we're really not. I don't have time this evening. And then if we would run some video footage of what you did that evening, 
as opposed to meeting the need or helping someone else, it would be convicting, wouldn't it? We often, we, we, we don't see it as a priority, and there's a burden in the church, and uh, again, not picking on you, but a group text goes out or there's notification, well, someone else will take care of that need. Uh, it may not always be you that should be the one, but do we at least see it as a priority, that we drop other things and we, we, we shoulder up to that responsibility, making other believers a priority, because we're fellow stewards of the grace of God. And maybe God wants to minister his grace, not just to them directly, but through us as we serve them. And then lastly, he says of the house, who are of the household of faith? Priority of family. Priority of family. Um, This may bring, if it does in your life as it does mine, a bit of conviction, but that household of faith, who is that? I think it's anyone who knows Jesus Christ as Savior. Um, Now, the grace of God and how we're teaching it is not in any way promoting or espousing ecumenicalism where we just, we lower the bar to the lowest common denominator and we we, um, live contrary to the clear teaching of God's word. But if someone knows Jesus Christ as Savior, if we're not careful, if they're of a different denomination or a different background religiously, John kind of joked about it a minute ago with his Wesleyan background. I didn't know that about you. I wish I would have known that before tonight. I'm just kidding. Um, But if we're not careful, that's who they are. And can I tell you, they are a steward. They are a recipient of the grace of God just like you are and just like I am. And one of the best ways I've found to relate to them, though I may not be able to partner with them officially in some capacities, I can still serve them. I can still help them. I can still encourage them. I can still minister to them in ways uh, that God leads me, leads me to. Um, pastor I was listening to the other day, he said this. This is, this is tough, but it's true. Spiritually immature people will separate with other godly believers for superficial reasons. Spiritually immature people will separate with other godly believers for superficial reasons. May we not be found uh, in their ranks. Uh, So legalists lump everyone together that's different than them. They major on the minors. Grace-shaped believers instead lump anyone together that's the same on the majors with them. They focus on that and they consider them family. All right, I want to give you a last little illustration I think captures the spirit of our study, and we'll finish. Appreciate your patience tonight. Um, I can't remember the exact story. Heidi could tell it better than I, as she could anything. But um, she was sharing with me that uh, Ian, our oldest, and I'll share it because he's not in here tonight. He'd probably not love to be in here when I share it necessarily. Is uh, It's not, I think, bad, trust me. But um, they were at the uh, thrift store in Orville, all right? I don't know if you've been to the thrift store there by Central Christian. And there was, a, um, there was a special needs gentleman there that was struggling with his shoes being untied. And I can't remember all the details of who, or I think maybe Moses oversaw this. But my son Ian just quietly, with, didn't know anyone was watching, he knelt down and helped this guy tie his shoes. <laughs> just powerful, all on his own. Teenage kid. Do you know that that gracious service, that willingness has nothing to do with me or this church, but an emphasis upon the grace of God? That's why we fight for it. That's why we defend it. So that in those moments, we just naturally serve as Brother John and Beth are willing to do. The grace of God will always produce the profile of a servant. 
And there's a lot of religiosity that's about serving me and feed me and make me happy and get our family everything that we need. That's not the grace of God. The grace of God produces the profile of a servant. By the way, we only have God's grace because of the servant, right? The one who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so we must fight against legalistic tendencies that hinder the service and ministry that God has called us to. Fight the tendency to be a legalist. Fight the tendency to focus on the minors. And instead, let God's grace fuel your ministry. Here's the question, and we'll finish. Will you choose to live in grace plus nothing by engaging in serving other Christians, serving other spiritual leaders, and serving all other people? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you.